I'm author and athlete Brad Kearns. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life. Visit bradkearns.com for great resources on healthy eating, exercise, and lifestyle. And here we go with the show. Being able to get on the field or on the court for for every game, and because it's you know the pro sports season, no matter what the sport is, relentless. But it, it gives you a, a, a pass-fail and all of those um, variables and then gives you a, a report uh, with drills and how you can personally improve. I would be curious to see what they're doing on the flip side, too, because as you know, as a triathlete, what you take out, you have to put back in somehow. I would like you to know this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have benefited extensively from online therapy. Some experts contend that you can be more vulnerable than you might be in person. What I value the most is actionable insights and specific honest feedback. I don't need someone just listening to me. I want to get some practical tips and I can definitely get that from a remote therapist. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, maybe you're hesitant to drive across town and go into some building, why don't you give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge, because getting the best fit and the most comfortable connection is very important. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bradpod, B-R-A-D-P-O-D. That's betterhelp.com slash bradpod today to get 10% off your first month. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bradpod and get on your way to being your best self. Hey, listeners, get ready for a lively podcast on all aspects of sports with the one and only Lindsay Barra, host of the Food of the Gods podcast and longtime sports journalist across a variety, incredible variety of sports and a longtime athlete in an amazing variety of sports as well. Uh, She worked at MajorLeagueBaseball.com for five years, established herself as an authority on baseball fitness and injuries, and was on TV uh, talking about her stories frequently. Then she transitioned to a long career, 13 years as a senior writer for ESPN magazine, so really the highest level of sports journalism. And she covered ice hockey, tennis, baseball, and three Olympic games. She's a longtime athlete, played varsity softball at University of North Carolina, played on the men's ice hockey team, club team at North Carolina, was the captain of her high school boys hockey team. She's into golf. She's into tennis these days. And she has an amazing assortment of insights uh, on training technology, the progression of training methods in sports. We have some opinions and some reflections like a proper sports talk show about who's the fittest athlete and uh, are these athletes eating appropriately? Do we have a, where do we see in the future of uh, nutrition for elite athletes? Um, She's interviewed a ton of people auto racers, PGA Tour golfers, Olympic athletes in a variety of sports, um, heptathlon, long-distance running, 
A lot of baseball players, of course, as her original niche. And yes, she's the granddaughter of the legendary Yogi Berra, who was a, a great athlete and manager for so long in baseball, a, a true baseball legend. And she's on the board of directors of the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center in Little Falls, New Jersey. My favorite aspect about Yogi Berra is he's possibly the most quotable athlete of all times. Amusing, hilarious, and also really insightful. And Lindsay's going to give you some of her favorite quotes from grandfather. So uh, enjoy that toward the end of the show. And check out the Food of the Gods podcast. Particularly interesting to me is interviewing these athletes at the top of their game in a variety of sports and finding out how they eat. I think that has tremendous weight and relevance, especially compare and contrast to the research and the science and how we obsess on if something is validated by a scientific study, then it must be good for us. Uh, but I also like to put in a huge plug for what real athletes are doing every day when they're suiting up in the National Hockey League, NFL, Major League Baseball, and the Olympics and weigh that carefully. And and the reason I say that is because um, she reports back a surprising lack of extreme eating strategies by the elite athletes. So there's not to be found much of keto, primal, paleo, intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding. And generally, uh, the common thread that you're going to find with the elite athletes is eating wholesome natural foods and avoiding junk foods. And we talk about that too. Is that really true? Or are these athletes still uh, stuff in their face like we learned from Usain Bolt at the 2000 Olympics joking about how many chicken McNuggets he ate in the Olympic Village because they were free? I think you're going to love the show if you're interested in sports. Lindsay is lively, fun. She's got some tremendous insights. And here we go with Lindsay Barra, host of the Food of the Gods podcast. Lindsay Barra, how are you? I am just peachy, Brad. How are you? I'm so glad to connect through our, our our association with the with the wonderful Digitent Podcast Network. And boy, um, they they said you got to check out this this lady's show. It's pretty interesting. You might like it. And I'm I'm uh, I'm super excited to to have you on and and discuss what you're doing with Food of the Gods and what you've learned from this amazing uh, smattering of athletes that you've interviewed in so many different sports. So um, first, I'd love to know. Uh, your background with all that journalism and, and covering a variety of sports and also your own athletic background. So let's tee it up for Lindsay Barra here. <laughs> this might take me a second. So um, I grew up playing all sports, like all of them, uh, with the exception of really golf and tennis. I play golf now, but I did not play golf as a kid, but I played everything other than that growing up. I played soccer, ice hockey, and softball in high school. I was the captain of the boys' varsity hockey team at my high school in Jersey. <laughs> and then I went on to play varsity softball and men's club hockey at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, go Tar Heels. Um, and then I went to journalism school at UNC. And after college, uh, oh, wait, more athletic background. During that, I, I was an ocean lifeguard for eight years. So swimming, running, uh, paddling, rowing, you know, all, all that beach stuff was like on the docket all summer for me all the time. Um, then after college, I started working at ESPN magazine where I covered, uh, mostly hockey, 
uh, tennis, baseball, did a little boxing. I covered three Olympic games, Torino, Beijing, and Vancouver. I was at ESPN Magazine for 13 years. Then I was at MLB.com and MLB Network uh, covering Major League Baseball on TV and for the interwebs um, for five years. Then I was uh, freelance for, for four years, writing a lot for like Men's Health and Sports Business Journal, started to get a little bit more into the fitness side of things at that point. And then uh, most recently, two months ago, I started a job doing content for Tonal, the uh, fitness company that you see LeBron James and Serena Williams doing uh, ads for. But I'm also um, hosting Food of the Gods, as you mentioned. I'm a board member at my grandpa Yogi Berra's museum, the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center in, in, in Little Falls, New Jersey. We've got a really fun documentary coming out on him called It Ain't Over that's premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, and I also work with Tom House, uh, the legendary pitching coach Tom House, uh, on his biomechanics pitching app, uh, which is called Mustard, um, where you can get biomechanical analysis and and free coaching uh, for your uh, youth pitchers. So I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I want to pick up with, with the last thing you said. So what are you doing uh, for this app and, and how does that app work? That seems like a fascinating technology. So I met Tom years ago when I was working at uh, ESPN Magazine. Tom is kind of universally known as the father of modern pitching mechanics. He was a big league pitcher, but then became a coach. Um, He was Nolan Ryan's pitching coach, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, um, all the the famous quarterbacks over the last... 104 people. That's a good coach right there. (laughs) Nolan Ryan. Does Nolan Ryan still have the speed record for the fastest pitch? Uh, Aroldis Chapman may have beat him... With a 105, I think. Oof. However, if you watch the documentary Fastball, it proves that Nolan's was actually faster because of the way they measure now. Nowadays, they measure about 10 feet in front of the mound. And mm. when Nolan was pitching, the gun caught it a lot closer to home plate, which caused the ball to be measured at a point at which it had lost miles per mm. hour. So even though the gun reading, the new gun reading for Chapman is higher, uh, Ryan's pitch was actually faster. Um, just, just, in case, <laughs> listeners, just in case you're wondering if this, if this lady's legit or not, uh, now, now she's on a roll. Okay. How that, can you that, dispute that? That documentary though is called fastball. It's by Jonathan mm. Hawk and it, it's pretty fantastic. I think it's available on Netflix or it's, it's on the inner interwebs somewhere. You can find it. Um, but anyway, so I met Tom house years ago and Tom has been working with all those famous pitchers. He was also uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees' throwing coach, like all the big quarterbacks. Um, And he he has been doing biomechanical analyses of pitchers since the late 70s, which is way before biomechanical analyses were cool. Um, And he has 40 years of data on elite level pitchers. He's 75, just turned 75, but he has Parkinson's disease. And he was afraid that if he didn't do something with all of his data, it would be lost to history. So he teamed up with some engineers from ML BAM um, and some entrepreneurs and developed this pitching app called Mustard that takes, digitize all of his data and using an AI engine overlays Tom's data over a video of your kid pitching. And it gives you a report with 11, the 11 most important mechanical variables in the pitching delivery, timing, stride length, uh, balance, posture, uh, lift and thrust, stack and track. I'm missing a bunch, but anyway, uh, hip and shoulder separation, generate the ability to generate torque is a big one, but it, it gives you a, a, a pass fail and all of those, um, variables, and then gives you a, 
a report uh, with drills and how you can personally improve. So it's a pretty cool thing. Unbelievable. It sounds like there's some carryover to the, the football quarterback throwing the ball and perhaps even into other sports. Yeah. Rotation is rotation. So eventually they're going to move the app into um, football, lacrosse, or first of all, hitting for baseball, um, golf, you know, and any, any, any time you're generating rotational power from the ground up that, that force has to move properly through the kinetic sequence for you to get the most power out of your body and into whatever implement you're using. So it's really applicable to everything. I'm just coming up with a, a, a weird question insight here about, about the amazing progress of technology in sports. And so now these little pitchers all over the place can learn how to throw like a big leaguer. You've seen this so prominently in the golf scene, um, you know, starting with Tiger Woods coming in and destroying all these uh, soft, wealthy, lazy players that didn't have the, you know, the competitive edge honed as, as much as him and then the fitness and all these things. And now everybody can swing like a robot as you see on the range. Um, and so we're all nodding our heads, uh, talking about how technology is so, so prevalent and sports have progressed so much, but also if we can reflect and sit back and think that, um, okay, Nolan Ryan was throwing the ball farther, faster than anyone. And that was what almost 50 years ago. And same with some of the old time golfers. Um, you had Gary player on the show. So I am making a segue here, people. I'm not just ranting, but like they shot some pretty low scores with some quote unquote, uh, you know, inefficient, crappy old technology clubs, balls, and, um, and so forth. So I'm, I'm yeah, wondering, they, you know, uh, their technology was, was crappier back then, but they all had that sequencing down pat their swing. You know, Gary player's swing is beautiful. And I think getting kids to learn how to properly throw a baseball at a young age saves their arms from wear and tear. Mm. You have a lot more fun playing. If you're not hurt, more kids <laughs> will stay in baseball if they're having fun because they're not hurt. And, you know, a pitching coach is $200 an hour. So giving kids access to that kind of coaching that can really change their lives in sport for free is pretty amazing. I mean, and, you know, I grew up in a baseball family and Tom house obviously loves baseball and wants to share that love of the game with kids all over the place. But again, you're not having fun if you're hurt all the time. Good point. I think also with um, just becoming more resilient and adaptable with modern uh, fitness techniques where you're, mm -hmm. you're not getting injured and you're, you're having more fun at all ages. Because I think back in the day, some poor kid tore his knee up in a, in a football practice sophomore year and his, his athletic career was doomed forever because they went in there with a knife. And now we're in there doing um, mini bands and, and uh, accords and balance drills and, and all the things that we see the professional athletes lasting for, um, you know, 18 yeah, yeah. year careers as, as a norm rather than, you know, just the freaks of the old times. Yeah, functional strength is obviously such an important component, no matter what sport you're playing. It's important for normal life too. So, yeah. <laughs> So that, that journey, you've been so deeply immersed into sports since you were a kid as a participant and as a journalist. And uh, I, I wonder if that helped you, uh, you know, with your opportunities, did, did it matter? Did they weigh that, uh, fact appropriately that you were, you were an actual player rather than just a, uh, someone who could, um, you know, cover the, cover the sport. I think at ESPN magazine, they did for sure. And once they realized that I could 
I was good at explaining like the nuance of athletic movement to normal people, which was one of the reasons Tom House and I hit it off really quickly because I was able to sort of understand the sciencey stuff that he was saying and then explain it in writing to someone with no science background. And that has been super helpful uh, throughout my entire career. I mean, even right now, I'm doing a bunch of golf content for Tonal because they have a partnership with Michelle Wee West and there's um, a whole bunch of golf workouts on Tonal now. And I'm talking about like why your glutes are important in your golf swing and why hip mobility is important and how to generate torque in your swing. But you can't explain that like you're writing some kind of scientific paper. You have to write it in words that the average Joe on the driving range can can understand. And I think my background playing sports um, and really a lot of it came from doing yoga for many years and being able mm. to kind of mentally articulate the different parts of your, your body. Um, it, hel- it, it helped me a lot to be able to talk about it in terms that normal folks can, can digest. So in your case, um, you're using these disparate skills. I, I assume you're someone who's digging into the research pulling out these scientific insights about torque and then uh, reflecting on your yoga experience or whatever, and then trying to find the words to convey it. Sounds like an awesome challenge. Yeah. And it's not just necessarily me going through the science. I do get the chance to talk to the experts, the people who are actually doing the research, and they can kind of tell me what their theories are and explain what the research shows. But those people use a lot of sciencey words. So that's where I have to like, you know, break out the thesaurus and, and, uh, distill it. So it's a little bit more digestible. <laughs> so how about this Gary player guy? He's fascinated me for so long because he seems like the original fitness freak in elite major professional sports. And he, uh, listeners, uh, Lindsay will give you sufficient background, but he's an old time golfer from South Africa. Yeah. So we had Gary on food of the gods, um, last fall, I think it was anyway, but did he challenge you to a push-up contest or anything? No, this guy's a piece of work. He's a hoot. He's a total hoot. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's very outspoken in, in how he thinks that people don't move enough and Americans are lazy and, you know, he's not wrong, but a lot of us don't move enough and a lot of us are lazy. So he's, he's not wrong. Um, but he is 86 years old and he's still in the gym five days a week. He plays golf five days a week. He still shoots his, his point of pride is that he still shoots his age. Um, and really at 86 years old, like two over par, he considers a bad day, but he was also a, um, a competitive diver growing up and he can still at 86 do back and front flips, um, off the springboard on his pool or off like there's a video on his Instagram of him doing a backflip off the side of a boat. Um, at 86 years old. And he'll tell you that he, uh, you know, eats raw garlic and raw red onion every day because he thinks it's, you know, good for your gut and all this kind of stuff. He's, he's very particular about what he eats and he's still doing push-ups and leg presses and in the gym all the time. And he, he really is just in incredible shape for someone of his age. And he's still an incredible golfer. I think he also, uh, stakes claim to having flown the most miles in an airplane of any human alive, which is, um, pretty, pretty validated. I think. I think, and it's, yeah, it doesn't sound, uh, out of the realm of possibility to me too, because he's from South Africa and he goes home fairly frequently. So just those trips back and forth to South Africa would give him more miles than most folks. Yeah. He was playing on the PGA tour for years and, you know, he won several major titles. He's one of the greatest golfers of all time. And, oh man, uh, the, the commitment to fitness was something so new to golf and, I think oh, yeah. he did a, you know, 
a great job thing. awakening people to the importance of what you're what you're eating besides what what club you're hitting. Absolutely. In the 60s, there's all like if you Google Gary Player, there's all these great old black and white pictures of him like lifting with uh, you know, steel plates and whatnot. It's it's good. So you decided to start this podcast, Food of the Gods, and focus on uh, in particular, focus on the dietary habits of elite athletes, or tell me about it, that uh, that brainstorm and how it's gone. It's just a, it's about the um, <laughs> how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance is my tagline. So what kind of workouts they do in season and mm. in the off season, and then how their nutrition is on a day to day basis, and how that varies through the off season. You know, I love asking people what their cheat meals are because everybody's got them. But uh, for the most part, you know, they're all they're all uh, eating pretty well and taking care of their bodies. And, um, you know, they've all got the recovery methods that work for them. There's so many recovery options out there and not everything works for everybody. So I like to mm. ask them, you know, which ones are they, you know, they use on a regular basis. Um, a lot of them are, you know, things folks can do at home, like, you know, the portable massage gun or a foam roller or an Epsom salt bath or just stretching, you know, um, getting a lot of sleep that that's important to everybody, but it has been interesting, you know, listening to them talk about their, um, different kinds of diets and, and what they eat before they work out, what they eat after they work out. I've taken a couple of different tips from, from, uh, a bunch of them, Danielle Collins, who is a, a American one of our top ranked American tennis players. She told me about these Noka superfood smoothies. It looks like a baby food pouch, but it's, they've got five grams of plant protein in them. And they're like in the little wheel, the door pocket in my car and in my golf bag. I love them. I carry with them, carry them pretty much everywhere now. Cause it's such a good snack and it doesn't need to be refrigerated and there's no chocolate on it that melts like <laughs> most protein bars. So, um, I've even taken a lot of tips from them and, and kind of incorporated them into my everyday life. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training in all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one -on -one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to Primal Health 
coach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. So do you see some common popular techniques, strategies, foods through the guest list? And then also what are some of the, 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 the most freaky or unusual uh, things that you've heard? The freakiest was definitely Bradley Bozeman NFL offensive lineman's pregame meal, which includes like two steaks, a baked potato with sour cream, um, a bagel with cream cheese, like all this stuff that I could not function with if I had it in my stomach, you know? Um, so that, that was like, he was the most extreme, but most we, we've had, you know, one ice hockey player who does is a pretty strict intermittent faster. Um, but with the exception of those two, everybody just is a pretty balanced eater, you know, like lean meats, vegetables, uh, fruit, whole grains, you know, like complex carbohydrate, they, and they don't shy away from carbohydrate. A lot of the athletes, I think what people will find most interesting, like, for example, we had Emma Coburn on the other day, and she's a very fit, very thin American steeplechase runner, which is a pretty gnarly race. And she eats a ton of carbs. She eats like pancakes after her training. Um, you know, obviously not like, you know, ice cream sundaes, but she's eating stuff that are going to fuel her. She's obviously burning a lot of carbohydrate, but I think that the biggest common denominator is that these guys are not afraid of carbs in the way a lot of normal people are. Uh, well, I guess, um, you know, progressive health enthusiasts, which is a lot of, um, the work that I've been in this ancestral health space, primal paleo, keto, yeah carnivore, uh, all these, all these great things that people are uh, reporting, uh, you know, life-changing benefits, especially getting away from things that have been irritating to their digestive health. Yeah. And then also reducing excess body fat with, uh, any, any strategy that takes you away from the disastrous, uh, consumption of processed foods that represents the standard modern diet. Well, and I will say that all of these athletes who are consuming carbohydrate are not consuming processed foods. They're eating sweet potatoes and, you know, brown rice, things like that. Like the pro processed food is not on the, on the list. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a, I think that's insight. Number one is that the, the, the elite functioning human is, is staying away from, from garbage. I'm not sure maybe you've had, um, you know, a, a cultivated, uh, guest list where you're talking to people who do care about their diet, because, uh, I suspect there's still some optimization to be had, especially in this, these high performing athletes. I mean, Usain Bolt was laughing and joking about his consumption of chicken McNuggets in the Olympic yeah. training center. Um, yeah. And I think, um, you know, the major professional sports teams, some of them, uh, like Dr. Kate Shanahan had a program going with the Lakers. And, um, I was familiar with that. And, and the guy who ran it for her, Tim DeFrancesco, their former strength and conditioning coach, where he'd, he'd, you know, he'd place it to go order from whole foods, uh, for a buffet meal for 20 people. And he'd have it ready after the games. And it was, you know, highly, um, structured of, of the very best foods. Uh, but in general, um, it's possible that I, I don't know if you have any insights of uh, what level of junk food is being is still found in the um, the pantries, lockers, uh, automobiles of of the elite athletes. 
So we've had a few different nutritionists for a pro sports team on the podcast. We had Lerone Sarig from the San Francisco Giants and Anthony Zamora from the Utah Jazz. And they definitely have the highest quality stuff available for these athletes. And now it's literally three meals a day. You can come in there for breakfast and have mm. them do an omelet with fresh veggies or oatmeal or whatever you want. And then there's, you know, all different options for, for lunch and, and dinner. Um, I think they do have the, a little bit junkier foods like chips and cookies stuff available. And everybody says that the younger players will still eat some of the crappy foods, but the older you get in the league and <laughs> the more you learn and realize that what you eat matters you know, when you're 20 years old, you might be able to get away with eating a Big Mac every day for lunch. But when you're 35 and trying to stay in the league, every little thing gives you an edge and you're going to give up those Big Macs and go more towards, you know, the protein shake with your beet powder for nitric oxide and, and your, you know, collagen protein to help your joints and, and all those things instead of the, the Big Mac that you got away with when you were a teenager. So I, I think, like everything people live and learn and, and pro athletes are, are no different. Oh my gosh. And the stakes are so high these days and the incentives and the microscope as well. And I would assume that mentality possibly carries over into um, off season behavior patterns, how frequently they're in the gym or doing their rehabilitative mini band stretches or, or uh, Theragun uh, treatment sessions and so forth. I think the, the recovery stuff becomes really important in the season um, because of the travel. I, I think that physical activity is one thing, but recovering from so much, so many flights and so many hours in a plane is, is really difficult during the regular season. In the off season, they just have a little bit more time, you know, like their workout is the priority of the day and whatever training they're doing, but they're not having to go get on a plane and fly to the next place or play the actual game. So there's a little bit more downtime in the off season for them to work on things that they um, kind of got stuck with during the season. Um, but during the season, then that's when you have like the pitchers doing the shoulder maintenance program between starts and really paying attention to being able to get on the field or on the court for, for every game. And because it's, you know, the pro sport season, no matter what the sport is relentless. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, maybe even an equivalent stressor to the actual physical contest is that travel schedule that they have. Um, when Tim was with the Lakers, he was telling me about how the, uh, the jet would take off after uh, an Eastern time zone game and fly them back to Los Angeles where they yeah. arrive at two in the morning or some ridiculous time. And I said, why don't they just stay in a hotel in the city and, and get a good night's sleep and then fly home. And he said, because they'd go out that night. And so they might as well just get them on the plane and yeah. fly them home. And I'm like, both of those are pretty terrible sounding for the, the highest performing athlete. But it sounds like there's been some progression from the sense that these athletes are out there partying and, and going to the clubs and then uh, throwing in 30 points the next night. Yeah, I think it, I, I, some of the teams have started to modify that super late night flight thing, but there are guys who just make the decision that they'd rather wake up at home with their kids if they don't get a lot of um, days off. Um, so it just kind of depends on where, what the team's like personal priorities are, or, you know, sometimes you play, sometimes the schedule is ridiculous and you play on one coast and you actually have a game the next day. So you have to fly home. That's, you know, it can be nutty like that too. 
Yeah, and the NFL uh, playing once a week, but uh, those Thursday night Mm -hmm. games or those Saturday night games. And then um, I wonder what it's like to recover from the physical pounding of just an ordinary uh, NFL game for the for the player. I mean, how are they coming on day one, day two, day three? Yeah, I think that Monday is usually like a, a full day off or some guys like to do active recovery workouts, but like that seems like it's like a hot and cold tub and get my massage and go in the infrared sauna kind of day for everybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine getting hit repeatedly by a 330 pound lineman. So I can't. Yeah. I'm actually wondering like if, if Brad Kearns came in for one play and went across the middle and, and took a shot, it's possible I could get killed in one, one tackle, it, you know, if my neck snaps, because I, I don't have the ability to handle one hit on one play in the NFL. Seriously. Yeah. I'm not sure we should try that. Yeah. Although I mean, if you survive, it might make you like a YouTube star. George Plimpton. Ty- I, I, I use that. I use that term sometimes like he's the George Plimpton of the biohacking or he's the George Plimpton of blank. And I get a blank look from anyone that's under 40 years old. I'm like, you never heard of George Plimpton. It's like, Oh my gosh, come on. Maybe you should uh, explain who he is for the young listener. That's never heard that, that word. Who did he fight? Uh, He fought some uh, elite boxer. Was it a heavyweight? Which boxer he actually fought. George Plimpton was a writer who decided to get in the ring with a real boxer. Um, and I don't remember what year and I don't remember who it was, but he's pretty famous for for doing it. <laughs> yeah. He was like the ultimate uh, participatory journalist. And Didn't so he, he also fight too. Oh my gosh. I mean, we have to, now we're gonna have to have some links we in the show notes. The I think he did. I, I think he did a bullfight. Yeah. He did um, training camp for the Detroit lions and wrote a book called paper lion, like yeah. a fragile Detroit lion. And he actually got in one play on a, on a preseason game, I think at quarterback or something, but you know, he went through the whole ordeal as just this ordinary writer guy. And he, he, he threw himself into um, numerous other sports. Like you're, like you're mentioning. He did do, he did do a bullfight. I'm just not wrong about that. <laughs> That's even, uh, that's, that's one step beyond running with the bulls. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the off season and coming down from that incredible travel and competitive schedule, I, I, uh, read this excerpt several years ago and it really stuck with me. It was an interview with Julio Jones, the great wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Is he with Atlanta? He's got my favorite name in pro sports. I love his name, Julio Jones. Yeah, it's um, uh, Bill Simmons' book about basketball had uh, a list of his favorite names for different reasons, a humorous little account in there. Uh, the reader can go look that up themselves. But um, they asked him, uh, tell me about your off-season uh, training uh, strategy. And he says, I don't do anything. I just let my body rest. And I was like, you know what? This could be a glimpse of the athlete of the future at the highest level of sophistication of uh performing where really all he needs during the off season is you know to walk around the park with his kids go get a massage I, you know you might, you might want to take a break from the punishment but i do believe that what separates elite athletes from the rest of us hacks is their proficiency and skill in their sport. And I think to maintain that you have to like, you know, pitchers need to throw most of the year. They might want to take a couple weeks off at the end, but you got to throw, you got to practice your craft and your skill. If you want to stay at that elite level now, because at this, in this day and age, what you just said about Julio Jones is very much 
not the norm. Almost everybody else is working out all year long. And if you want to compete with the top 1% of 1%, you're going to have to do that as well. Yeah. Isaac Rochelle, Rochelle of the Chargers. He's a former Notre Dame defensive end. He's had a nice career, even though he wasn't expected to be, he wasn't a high draft pick, but he he made his way through the NFL for many years now. And he talks about his off season is more emphasizing yoga, um, you know, beach sprinting things that are making him a better athlete right. and, and then, um, not necessarily hitting the blocking sleds or doing, um, no, you know, no. extreme do. football drills, but balancing it. No, the, and the guys do, do like full, more full body things, but, but like everybody's training is somewhat sports specific. Like there's going to be little elements of skill. Like he might, if you're a football player, like you might do those like hand-eye coordination drills, but you know, like where you're talking about defense and shifting, like it, it's applicable yeah. to sport for sure. Um, I think the triathletes are in that same uh, camp, Simon Whitfield, Olympic gold medalist and Olympic silver medal triathlete. He talked about his breaks would be three weeks and he would sprinkle those in uh, over the course of the year instead of having this big, huge mm-hmm. off season. Oh, great. There's no races for three months. You're going to sit around and um, add some body fat and get out of shape. You know, he, he emphasized the importance of always being in pretty good shape. And of course, three weeks is a wonderful break. You're not going to lose much. You're, you're not just sitting on the couch, but you're taking these chunks of time where you give your body a break from the traveling and the extreme training. I think you see that a lot with fighters too. Like, you know, triathletes mm. don't race all the time. Boxers don't fight every weekend. You fight like every couple of months and you will give yourself a little bit of a break, but you keep yourself, you might like decrease your fitness, like, you know, three to 5%. And then in your camp, you ramp it back up, but you keep yourself at a place where it's easy to recover your top level of fitness. You can't fall too far off the wagon or you're going to have a hard time returning to that level. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. Uh, speaking of pitching, I was uh, just alarmed to 
learn that the uh, the great Dodgers pitcher Clayton Kershaw was pulled out en route to a perfect game after seven innings. And I want to get your opinion on that because I was just exasperated. Like, are you freaking so, kidding me? We're very, we've had this conversation a lot at, at Mustard. So Clayton Kershaw is a, uh, he's got as great as he is. He has a bit of a fragile arm. He was on the um, injured reserve list a bunch of times last year. He's dealt with injuries in spring training this year. He hadn't pitched more than four innings. Um, and I'm not sure what his pitch count was. I, I think it was not, he hadn't pitched more than 70 pitches and he was through seven innings in that perfect game already at 80 pitches. So more innings and more pitches than he was prepared to throw. And I think when Dave Roberts looked at that, he thought, do I want it? We're going to win this game. Is Clayton Kershaw's perfect game more or less important than having him healthy and on my roster for the duration of the season? And Dodgers fans don't want to see him out. So as angry as they were with him getting pulled with the, with the perfect game, you can see Dave Roberts's rationale and Clayton himself was not upset about it. So that says a lot too, because he knew what Dave was doing for him. And Tom will tell you, it's the greatest thing, regardless of what you think about Clayton getting pulled. It sets a really great example for youth sports to see the Dodgers prioritizing the pitcher, the pitcher's health at that level, mm. you know, where you have a 13 year old who shouldn't be throwing more than, you know, 85 pitches total. And he's at 120 just because he's the best kid on the team. And that's where kids get hurt. So for coaches at the youth level and parents at the youth level to see health of a pitcher being prioritized like that by the Dodgers is a great example for youth sports and bodes well for the idea of good arms staying good long enough to make it to the big leagues. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. I never thought of that perspective. That's really great. And it also sets a great example for professional sports because the athletes have been chewed up and spit out as commodities from, from the dawn of yes. professional sports. Um, so now I'm looking at it from a, a different perspective than uh, the selfish fan perspective, but I still, uh, I'm, since, since I'm, I'm going to try to ingrade in a little bit here, um, you know, it is entertainment. Um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering of the extreme damage of his arm falling off if he were to pitch another inning or another or another and become one of the, 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 there's only 23 perfect games in the history of baseball in a hundred and what, 130 years or something. Um, and then as I finish my question to Lindsay here, um, compare and contrast to Japanese baseball, which my understanding is they have a different philosophy about pitchers and how to uh, strengthen the arm and become a resilient pitcher. I am I'm not well-versed in what they're doing in Japan, so I can't really answer that side of it. But Clayton, I would just say that, you know, he, a perfect game is super rare, right? But <laughs> dancing, dancing with, with flirting with fatigue is very dangerous, right? So you, once you're tired, when you're throwing with the intent required to throw a hundred mile an hour fastball, and you need all of your muscles and things to be firing in the right sequence and, and, you know, on full cylinder, when, once you start to tire that stuff, the, the injury risk just goes up. Right. And when you get tired, if you listen to Tom house, he'll tell you that like the first thing that you lose is command. If you mm -hmm. stop being able to throw strikes, it's probably because you're getting tired. And if Clayton had thrown a few more balls 
in the previous 10 pitches before he got pulled than in the 10 pitches before that, it would have been a pretty good indication to Dave Roberts that he was really walking that fatigue line. And, and I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I think that most pro athletes will tell you whether they are really believe it or not, that they're putting the team accomplishments ahead of their own. And mm-hmm. if the Dodgers were going to win that game, Clayton would say that was the most important thing. Very nice. Okay. Lindsay's, <laughs> Lindsay's uh, won me over here with that, uh, that high level view. I like it. Um, my understanding in Japan, I read a book called You Gotta Have Wa, W-A. It was written a long time ago. It was a fantastic yeah. book. Um, but apparently they have that, um, you know, that that workmanlike philosophy with the training in general. And so the baseball players are working out and training hard and running sprints for hours every day. And the pitchers are throwing at high volume uh, many days per week. It's just total flip-flop and it's to, uh, you know, get the arm stronger and more resilient to throw more pitches. So um, a few pitchers have come over here and made it and done pretty well, Otani and the rest, but um, it's just kind of an interesting compare and contrast. And I would, I would be curious to see what they're doing on the flip side too, because as you know, as a triathlete, what you take out, you have to put back in somehow, hmm. right? So I, I would be curious to see what the recovery side of that looks like. So back to the interviews and the wonderful body of content at Food of the Gods, where you're getting into the dietary patterns and picking up tics, tips and tricks from the, the, the disparate athletes in so many sports. Um, you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of examples of people in, involved in these extreme uh, dietary restriction strategies that are so popular in the progressive health movement. That's extremely interesting to me because I'm trying to pass myself off as an athlete in the older age groups here. So, uh, I'm, I'm training for high jumping, sprinting, speed golf, and it's pretty stressful to do anything of that nature, uh, in the 55 plus division. Uh, and then here I am on the other end, uh, you know, deeply involved in the, um, in the, in the progressive health scene and experimenting with what might be considered extreme and restrictive dietary strategies. So, uh, wonder what that's like with your group of athletes. So you're right. Not a lot of them are, are into the whole extreme eating. Like, I, I don't think I've interviewed anybody who came back and said they were keto or paleo. Um, there were some folks who had like experimented with things like that, but they always end up coming back to just the balanced diet. We did have one hockey player, Michael Delzato, who was a pretty strict intermittent faster, um, and is but, that during the season? Was he yeah, doing that he, in the off he season? Did it, he did it all the time, but he, I think he, he's an exception to the rule. Um, but, um, there were a bunch of athletes who were gluten-free, a bunch of athletes who were dairy-free, but even the gluten-free folks were finding other sources of, of complex carbohydrate. Like I said, the brown rice, the quinoa, the, the sweet potatoes, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it seems to all just sort of come back to people making balanced, colorful plates with lots of lean protein, um, you know, fruit and veggies, the complex carb, and that healthy fats being a really, really big 
big deal. I think that's another thing that, I mean, the keto and, and paleo world has certainly embraced that, that a lot of normal folks are, oh, I have to eat fat free. Like, no, you don't eat more fat. More fat is good for you. Um, the good kind, obviously not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I do think that most, the, the vast majority of the athletes that that we've had on Food of the Gods do lean more towards balance than towards any of the ultra restrictive diets. <laughs> And I've all, you know, as a, as a former athlete, especially in the endurance scene and, and doing the, the, the triathlon stuff, um, these, this scientific research would come out about this, that, or the other thing where, um, shorter workouts at higher intensity will, will boost your fitness more than going around and pedaling all day at a slow pace. And then I'm looking around at the, the greatest athletes in every endurance sport throughout the last 60 years training in a certain way and highly validating that in comparison to what everyone thinks is the the ultimate or the pinnacle is show me the science you hear that quote all the time or, or research uh, reveals that um, free weights are better than machines and then the other research reveals that machines are better than free weights so i look strongly to who's out there at the front of the pack uh you know setting records to what might be the optimal uh, human way of, of training, eating, and, and living. I mean, I think you really have to look at what the person is doing, right? Like if you want to be a marathoner, right? You have to train to run marathons, which means you're going to be out there doing long distance stuff. But if you want to be the fastest hundred meter sprinter in the world, running 26 miles isn't going to do squat for you. You need to train the explosive fast twitch power to be able to sustain a top speed for only 10 seconds. Right. So I think, and also like this, this crap about, Oh, I'm, I'm the fittest. I'm the best athlete on the, this, but like you're the best at what you do. Right. But if you put a marathoner and tell them to go into a powerlifting competition, they're not going to do very well. But at the same time, the powerlifter is going to do terrible at the marathon. So I think you really just have to look at what you want to do and what adaptations are necessary to accomplish that particular goal, right? Um, it was interesting. I did a story for Men's Health very recently about this fitness challenge that was going around on the internet where guys were trying to um, deadlift 500 pounds mm-hmm. and run a sub five minute mile. Mm-hmm. And that is a, you know, that, that is something that like the CrossFit world would point to as something that is, uh, you know, would require a very high level of fitness and adaptation in two different, very different modalities, right? So Ryan Hall from your world, he's still an American record holder in the half marathon. He was 135 pounds soaking wet with rocks in his pockets when he was running marathons. He's now 195 pounds. Jacked as uh, heck. Crazy. He was doing, um, uh, in, he, he tried to do this deadlift thing and admits that he didn't do it properly. He First of all, he put the barbell um, per, like a perpendicular to the track. So he did the deadlift and then had to jump over the barbell. <laughs> and tripped it over it. That he tripped over it, right? So everybody, if you're going to try this, turn the barbell sideways, right? <laughs> anyway, but he didn't do it. He ran a 528 or something. And for some perspective, after pulling that 500 pound deadlift, it, he ran a 528 mile. His American record in the half marathon was way below that, 440s or something, right? So he did 13 of them without the 500 pound deadlift, but with the 500 pound deadlift, couldn't do one of them. So it just it it it's 
so interesting when you think about endurance versus power and how you train specifically for all of those things. And I think when you're eating or training to accomplish any goal, you really have to look at what that goal is and what type of eating and training is going to get you to it. Good point. And in some sports, let's face it, it doesn't matter that much. John Daly, one of the great golfers, mm-hmm. and he has two major yeah. titles, which is two more than many of the, the superstars that we uh, revere today. And um, he had zero attention to any of those things. Oh, and, and he would um, smoke on the course, for God's sake. I know. Smoking and Oreo cookies. And I, uh, I also think about, you remember John Cruck? From the Phillies, yeah, yeah, yeah. All star baseball player, and I, his, yeah. he's got a famous quote: "I'm not an athlete; I'm a ball player." <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of that, what's uh, do you have some um, favorite quotes of your grandfather, who's maybe the most quotable athlete of all time? People, Yogi Berra. Well, yeah. So I, people ask me this all the time, and my favorites are the most existential ones. Like people like the funny ones, but I like the future ain't what the, what it used to be. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. <laughs> You know, they're they're true, but they're a little what bit. What was the better. second one you said? Sorry. If the world were perfect, it wouldn't be, you know, because we're <laughs> always complaining about something. But if it was like that, you'd find something else to complain about. Let's be honest. Right. That is that um, is brilliant. That's absolutely there, brilliant. There is, there is one really funny one that I like that I tell people a lot that I that most people have not heard because it was kind of more of an in the family thing. Um, in 1958, when Grandpa and Mickey Mantle became pitchmen for Yoohoo, the chocolate milk drink, milk, I use air quotes around milk because I don't think it's a dairy product. <laughs> um, but uh, in 1958, they had a press conference and there was a female reporter in the front row. And grandpa always remembered this because female reporters in 1958 were very rare. Mm. And she raised her hand and she said, excuse me, is that hyphenated? She was asking about the word yoo Is it hyphenated? And grandpa said, lady, it ain't even carbonated. <laughs> and that is one of my favorite silly yogisms. <laughs> oh my gosh. I knew we'd get the inside scoop from you. Yeah. That is beautiful. Um, so back to that, uh, the deadlifting and the five minute mile, which is, which is super cool challenge. I'm sure Ryan Hall will do it when he goes down to sea level and, and gets ready. Yeah, I think one great. guy has done it already. The San Diego, uh, legendary, uh, CrossFit guy. I forget his name. Um, but people have done it. And, hey, the first um, to do it was a guy named Adam Clink, oh, okay. uh, CrossFitter named Adam Clink. And then yeah. some other folks have done it too. And what Adam did actually, he, um, kind of extrapolated the challenge and, and took it from it. It originally was put forth by the the CrossFit Games programmer, Dave Castro, in his book. And it was deadlift 500 pounds, back squat 500 pounds, which is considerably more difficult than deadlifting 500 pounds, and then run the five-minute mile, and all in the same day. And Adam Klink was the first person to do all three of those. Um, And he... Some some other folks I'm forgetting their names. You can actually, if anyone wants to Google my story, Google four uh, five and five hundred challenge men's health and all the history of it is is in that story. Um, but yes, uh, Ryan Hall tried it um, at eight thousand feet, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he would have to do that down to, to to at sea level. That right after I spoke with him about um, him missing on that challenge, he was doing a thing where he was running to the bottom of the grand Canyon with two of those 50 gallon water jugs mm. things, filling them at the bottom. And then, and then farmers carrying them out. And I'm like, this is what you think is fun on a Sunday, <laughs> oh, but he did that. He did it. Yeah. Very impressive. I wonder 
what you think the CrossFit community likes to tout that they're the, the fittest all around athletes. My friend sent me a text after one of the games and he said, uh, Matthew Frazier is the fittest human who's ever lived on earth care to argue that. And I'm like, you know, that's a pretty good take right there, man, because in terms of the, the term fittest, I'd say, I'm going to ask you two ending questions. So what do you think about uh, what represents the fittest athlete? And then um, I want your list of like the greatest athletes in terms of, you know. Different ways to look at this. Like I wouldn't argue with saying Matthew Frazier is way the hell up there because if Matthew Frazier had to run a marathon, he could. And if Matthew Frazier had a back squat 500 pounds, he could. Matthew Frazier is probably not trained in the skill of, of a particular sport. So when you look at someone like a Roger Federer or a Serena Williams, th- those folks, they're tremendous athletes, but they have an incredibly specific mm. skill set that works to their sport. So the greatest tennis players of all time, yes. Matthew Frazier might be one of the greatest or fittest athletes just about what the potential of the human body is, but he's not, he couldn't beat Serena Williams at tennis, but then again, Serena Williams, while she probably has a really good power clean, probably couldn't compete with the CrossFitters in the power clean, you know? So it, it just depends. I almost think it's like a dumb argument, like, cause mm-hmm. you're just going to go in circles. And I, I don't understand why we can't say Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player of all time. And Matthew Frazier is the fittest human on earth at the moment. Like, why can't they both be true? You know? Yeah. And also it, it kind of bugs me to go and compare eras and, and will Tiger Woods break Jack Nicholas's record? Guess what? Um, he's already broken, destroyed that in so many ways because the level of competition is so much higher. And I'm like, going to argue that, you know, dominating in the modern era when the hundredth place guy is making a million dollars a year is different than when Jack Nicholas, the hundredth place guy on tour was selling shoes in the winter in Florida. And I don't, I don't want to denigrate the, the athletes of the past, but, um, you know, the records are made to be broken, of course. And also the sophistication of sports is so much higher that, um, it there's, there's no sense I, compl- I, comparing I, eras. I, I totally agree with you. And like, for the record, my grandfather worked in a hardware store. He sold Christmas trees on the Hill in St. Louis, and then got sick of working odd jobs. And he and Phil Rizzuto opened a bowling alley to have something to provide income in the off season. So grandpa's best year in the big leagues, he made $60,000 which is the equivalent of 550,000 mm. in today's money, mm. which is $200,000 below the league minimum. And people say if grandpa were playing today, he'd be unpayable given his winning percentage. Right. right. But grandma, you know, people ask me this about a lot too, about grandpa, about comparing him to catchers in the modern era. But like my grandfather still has world series hit record for catchers. He still has more RBIs than any catcher in history. I don't think and like Yanni Molina might catch him, but he would have to hit 400 more RBIs before he uh, retires. So I think that, that, you know, those, there are some records that stand the test of time. And some mm. of those a- athletes from way back, like Jack Nicholas, were so good that there will be records that won't be broken, but they were like genetic freaks and once in a generation type athletes. Right. I think, and, and not everyone in the league at that time or on the PGA tour at the time could hold a candle to those folks. Whereas mm-hmm. nowadays, every, the base level of athlete in the pro sport is, is much higher. And yes, you still have those standout people, but I think across the board, the level of athlete has improved. Very nice. Lindsay Barra, the, the sports machine, just cranking. Uh, I love catching up with you and um, maybe we'll have to have another 
uh, a fireside chat about all manner of, of sports opinions, like all the great sports talk shows. It was a pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at all the, uh, the, the, the depth of your, um, your knowledge and your experience in so many different sports too, which is quite unique. Um, tell us, give us a little plug for food of the gods. How do we, um, how do we check in with that and what can we expect? So food of the gods podcast is about how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. We've had some great episodes. Uh, some of my favorites, uh, Justin Sua, the mental performance coach for the Tampa Bay Rays. That was one of my favorites. The Gary player episode was, was right up there. I loved the recent one with Emma Coburn, the, the steeplechaser, uh, Michael Lorenzen, MLB pitcher was pretty interesting. Um, Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver turned IndyCar driver who will be racing in his first Indy 500 next week was on the podcast. Alex Pello last year's IndyCar champ was on the podcast. The CrossFitters out there can listen to Jason Kalipa's episode. Um, we've, we've really had a very wide variety of, of athletes and it's super fun and you can find it um, on any podcast platform or at our website, foodofthegodspodcast.com. Uh, we could follow you on social media, follow yeah, the show. I'm very, I'm very easy to find at Lindsay Barra. It's um, horrifyingly easy to, go- easy to Google. You can, you can find me anywhere. <laughs> Get involved, people. She's highly carbonated. Thank you, Lindsay Barra. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> I am not highly carbonated. No carbonated beverages <laughs> for me. They hurt my belly. <laughs> da, 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 da. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. 
Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.